the man at the top of the ladder is Billy Wilder. He specializes in screen comedy. Remember how he made you howl and sun like it hot? Remember how he delighted you in the apartment? Well, now Billy Wilder's done it again in his hilarious new comedy, One, Two, Three. First, get a barber and a manicurist up to the office. Next, call my lawyer. I want him here immediately. Next, I want to speak to the manager of the Berlin Hilton. Yes, sir. And send Ingeborg in here with pad and pencil. Yes, sir. Tell him up. two, three. I'm going to leave the workers down there in revolt. Put your pants on, Spartacus. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I've been engaged four times. All the women in our family are sort of hot-blooded. <laughs> What have we got here? It's just that last night Mr. McNamara made me take my dress off. Playful, isn't he? Oh, he had a perfect right to, after all, he paid for it. Well, that makes all the difference. No, 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 you don't understand. It's part of my job. What do you call French benefits? Oh, how do you like that? The son of a... is starting his own Marshall plan. <laughs> podcast proud member of the fire and water podcast network i'm your host rob kelly and after way too long a time our old pal tim wallace is back hi tim hey rob how you doing i'm doing great i am i have to apologize we talked about doing this movie which is uh one two three a 1961 cold war comedy by billy wilder tim and i talked about doing this like literally years ago because uh, i think tim is the only other person i know on the planet that's seen this movie Yep. Uh, I love this movie, and then I you you said, oh, I love this movie too, and we kept talking about doing it, and it was my fault. I just kept saying I got to rewatch it again, I rewatch, and before I knew it, like a year and a half went by. So this is like the longest gap between any guests because I think the last episode you were on was like episode nine. So it might have been. yeah, so I, I and you did two in a row. You did like eight and nine, and then not again for another <laughs> 120 episodes. So my apologies, but I'm glad you're here because like I said I was I'm so excited to talk about this movie. I am glad to be here, and I, I'm a big James Cagney fan, so so any opportunity is is a good opportunity. Is was that your your sort of intro into this movie? Why you saw it? It was because it was James Cagney first off. Yes, absolutely. I uh, I guess I was probably in high school uh, when I started to to work my way through uh, the gangster movies with Cagney, and then mm-hmm. I saw um, Yankee Doodle Dandy, and was like, whoa, he does stuff other than gangster movies. Yeah, oh yeah, and. Yankee Doodle Dandy led me uh, in a roundabout way to the Oklahoma Kid, so a, a western with James Cagney and and Humphrey Bogart, oddly enough. Right, right. I've um, never seen that one. And and then uh, eventually to here. So, uh, yeah, I'm uh, 
big fan of that guy. Yeah, this this is a tremendous movie. I came to it actually from Billy Wilder because I'm just a huge fan of, of Billy Wilder. And Billy Wilder was on a hell of a hot streak at this point. He had done, in 1957, he had done Witness for the Prosecution, 58, uh, a little movie called Some Like It Hot. And then, uh, then he did The Apartment, which won Best Picture. And then this was the next movie he did right after that. And uh, James Cagney plays a Coca-Cola executive uh, situated in West Berlin during the middle of the Cold War, and, and we'll get into that in a moment because this is literally in the middle of the Cold War. <laughs> and he he is uh, he's excited about getting the Russian market. He's going to introduce Russia uh, to to the to the, the taste that refreshes, as he says, Coca Cola, because there's like hundreds of millions of untapped customers. Unfortunately, in the middle of everything going on, the Berlin Wall goes up. Uh, and what's funny is literally the Berlin Wall went up while they were making this movie. Like overnight, right. they were making the movie, and all of a sudden there was a wall separating the two, the two halves of the country. <laughs> uh, and so he ends up getting uh, uh, his boss, uh, his like Coca-Cola boss, ends up giving him this other assignment for him to uh, keep tabs on his sort of flibber-to-jibbit daughter, played by Pamela Tiffin. And he's, he kind of goes along with it because he, he wants to curry favor with his boss. And so, of course, that causes all sorts of problems when the flibber-to-jibbit daughter falls in love with a communist, a, a super, super communist, too, played by Horst Buchholz, of all people. Uh, and you can imagine the wackiness that goes on from there. And there's other things going on where uh, we find out that uh, James Cagney's character, his name is C.R. McNamara, he's got a mistress, uh, that, that, that's his secretary, uh, and he's Umlots. got Umlots. Umlots. Yeah, yeah, teaching of the Dumlots, yes. Uh, and he's got a wife played by Arlene Francis, who seems to know what's going on. He's got two kids, and so he's trying to juggle all these things at once while all this craziness is going on. It is, it's a combination Cold War comedy and dr- like drawing room comedy of people running into doors and slamming doors and all kinds of mistaken identity. It is, it's weird because like if any movie with James Cagney done by Billy Wilder, is not an obscure movie by its very nature. And yet, this is not a movie that people talk about when they talk about great Billy Wilder movies or great James Cagney movies. It seems like it's sort of forgotten. It's not available on Amazon or Netflix to rent or even on iTunes. You can get it on Blu-ray. But it's it's kind of a hard movie to find. But yet, I I just love this movie to pieces. Yeah, I I wasn't able to track it down on uh, on DVD or Blu-ray when I looked um, a couple years ago, <laughs> um, but I did uh, I did eventually find it on cable, and it's been on my DVR. I've watched it several times uh, again since. So, and and you're right when you think about when you think about Cagney. I know I know I always tend to go towards uh, White Heat or Public Enemy uh, is is what I envision when I think James Cagney um, and Billy Wilder. I'm always thinking some like it hot. So. You're right, though. The combination of the two, you'd expect this to be a little bit more uh, prevalent in people's minds. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's it's it, to me, it's it's even though it's of its time because it's talking about things very specific. I mean, <laughs> imagine doing a comedy like this right in the middle of the Cold War. I mean, this is this is this would make a great double feature with Doctor Strangelove, right? Uh, in a weird way, because it's just savaging all of the political norms that were sort of going on. And people didn't, Americans specifically, did not want to joke about 
the Russians in 1961. And there's a, there's this opening narration by James Cagney where he talks about uh, what was going on in America. And he's like, Roger Maris was hitting uh, his, his uh, 61st home run. Meanwhile, in the middle of the night, the, the uh, Russians put up uh, put up the Berlin Wall. And he's like, they, so these are the kind of people we're dealing with. Real shifty. <laughs> oh, that was that was a there's several moments like that. There's um. Even even just the portrayal, the the Russian characters are the are that perfect uh, caricature of what you'd expect from a Cold War Russian, with the uh, when 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 they when they're trying to get the formula for Coke from him as part of the deal, and they're like you know no no formula no deal, and they're like you know we'll just create it ourselves, and he starts throwing out well don't you remember when you tried to create your own formula and and it failed, and he starts rattling off stuff. There's it's always that uh, almost like. Uh, what Chekhov on Star Trek, where uh, you know, yeah, the Russians created that first. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he's talking about like you guys came up with like beet juice or whatever. Like they could never quite. Yeah, they can never quite. The three guys that play the 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 Russian, uh, you know, guys that he's dealing with, they are like sort of gleefully corrupt. Like they don't even pretend. There's this whole great sequence where. He give they give James Cagney um, a cigar, a Cuban cigar, and he goes, "Boy, this is a great cigar. Where did you get this?" And he says, "Oh, it's a lend lease uh, deal with Cuba. We get cigars and we give them rockets." And right. this, this is before the Cuban Missile Crisis. That yeah. joke, like, oh my God, that joke really jumps out at you when you hear, like, man, what was in the what was in the water with these guys? They get that they had this on their mind. But then, then a couple puffs in, he's like, "Actually, it's not that good of a cigar anyway." And they're like, "That's okay. They weren't good missiles." Yeah. Right. <laughs> This is, I mean, a, a lot of people at the time, and we'll get into it a little bit later about the reviews for this movie because they were not kind, saw this movie as just very, very cynical. And I guess cyn- cynicism depends on your point of view. You know, I mean, to me, Billy Wilder was always very caustic and always just saw the sort of absurdity in, in any situation. And, you know, he is, this whole movie pierces the balloon of like, nationalism and the idea that like your country is somehow better than the other country because it's like everybody is just sort of cr- I mean McNamara has no ideals other than he just wants to make a bunch of money for Coca-Cola right right no no cares about his family no cares about uh, his mistress it's it's all about he wants to work his way up the the corporate ladder Right. He's got this uh, oh. giant map in his office of all, of all the Coca-Cola plants all over the world. You can see that he desperately wants – and you see this big chunk of Russia where there's no Coca-Cola plants. And that's what he wants to do. He wants to get it done. And the only way he's able to even squire a deal with the three Russian guys is through the, the, the secretary. Right. Uh, the secretary is Fraulein Ingelborg. I love the great name. And she's played by this actress, uh, Lizalot. I don't know how you say L-I-S-E-L-O-T-T-E. Lizalot yeah. Pulver. She's great in this movie. She's very sexy. She's very funny. Uh, and yet, like, she kind of never had much of an American career. This is pretty much her big claim to fame. She did a lot of German films. And then in the 80s, I was reading, she retired uh, to go live in a mansion somewhere, which doesn't sound like a bad life, I guess. But, I mean, no. she's really fun. And they, 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 they do this whole deal where, you know, he's going to trade his secretary for this uh, for the this favor that he needs from the three of them because what happens is after uh, the the daughter falls in love with the, the Russian guy again played by Horst Buchholz who is this absolutely humorless communist like he's like we're, we'll we're take down the American running dog he's and he's he's totally bought into the whole idea of like the Russian lifestyle you know where he's like he's he's talking to uh, 
the the girl and uh, what's her name? Charlotte, I think her name is. I think it's uh, Scarlet. 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 Scarlet Hazeltine. And he's talking about. He's like, well, when once we have a baby, we'll get to see the kid once a week at the parade when the kid walks by, <laughs> when the kid marches by, and she's. Like, and Scarlett's kind of like a dimwit. She's like, that's what? Like, you know, he's like, right. okay, we're going to go along with it. And then he talks about that they're going to have an apartment and they'll be just down the hall from the bathroom. And you know <laughs> that like Scarlett is one of these, these young girls who's falls in love with him because he's charming, but she's not clearly paying attention to the life that she's really going to give up by staying in Russia with, with, uh, with Horst or uh, Otto Ludwig von Piffle is his name. Right. No. And, and, uh, when, when she explains why she fell in love with him, she was she was taking pictures of a communist parade and they were about to arrest her. And he stopped them from arresting her, explaining that she's just this dim-witted capitalist American idiot who doesn't know any better and we should pity her, not arrest her. So, of course, I fell in love with him. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. like what? <laughs> yeah, she's great. She's really great in this movie. She's really funny because she's just such a – you know, like the, I love it when she she comes off the plane, and she's like she's she's sort of been romancing all the pilots, and she's got this giggle, and he, Cagney goes, "What have we got here?" He's <laughs> just completely overwhelmed because they have two small children, but they're relatively yep. well behaved, and they're kind of like although the kids are cynical too. There's one point where he's talking to the the son, and he's like, "Put your mother on," and the, the son reaches out and says, uh, "Your husband wants to talk to you." So, you know, <laughs> Ten-year-olds are not supposed to talk that way to their parents, but I mean, it's it on, on the politics side. Like, I'm amazed when I watch this movie, like all the Hitler jokes, because <laughs> this whole bit about everyone that works for McNamara is, you know, they're, they they don't come right out and say it, but they hint it that they're all former Nazis. And like <laughs> his right hand man keeps clicking his heels, and they do that whole bit about where he's like, "Will you stop doing that?" And I slimmer, yeah. slimmer. And I was thinking about how this movie was made in 1961, right? Hitler was just 16 years ago by the time they made this movie. For perspective, the Phantom Menace is further away in our history than Hitler was to these people. And yet this movie is pretty much saying all you Germans knew about Hitler and you're just pretending that you don't. It's just like, I, I just can't believe I'm hearing those jokes in a mainstream comedy in 1961. Yeah, it's, oh, it's uh, like Schlemmer when you, you used to work with the Gestapo. No, 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 I was in the underground. The, the underground? Yeah, you know, the, uh, the the subway. Yeah, I was I was down there. We didn't know what was going on up top. Yeah. But then but then there's a scene later where you do meet his like commandant. The uh, the reporter for the newspaper shows right, up and right. and there's the recognition between him and Sh- uh, Schlemmer like like wait, who are you? Oh, he was my commandant. Oh, so you were one of the Nazis. Yeah, oh my god. Just, <laughs> yeah, it, it's it, I can't imagine uh, when they when they wrote this movie, that they thought they would get away with it. Get Billy Wilder really t- just didn't care, you know. I mean, he was just he was very powerful in the industry. He had a bunch of hits, and he just thought, "What the hell? I can go ahead and do this." And all props to Cagney for going along with it. It's Cagney. This is a bravura comic performance by James Cagney. I mean, Absolutely. Just, and uh, apparently, in the screenplay, there was a uh, right on the first page. Uh, it was written with these instructions that this movie should be played at 110 miles an hour, 140 on the straightaways. Right. And that is exactly what this movie did for a mo- for a movie that's an hour and 40 minutes. It manages to maintain that frenetic pace, and then, if anything, in the last half hour, it kicks it up a notch even further. And it's it's you would think that this movie can't possibly keep that up, but yet it does. It's it's yeah. like it it's just most movies, most comedies start to sag at some point, but this thing just barrels along and the jokes are flying at a mile a minute. It's really remarkable. 
the jokes and the dialogue. I mean, I think I think the first one that really jumped. Well, no, the first one that jumped out was yeah, Schlemmer, clicking the heels and and greeting him at the door. Yeah, and it's Dunkishin. And then he holds the door open, Dunkishin. And then, then he gets the elevator for him, Dunkishin. And then he's run up the stairs and he's waiting for Cagney right outside the elevator. And it's like, Dunkishin already. Just cut it out. <laughs> At one point he responds with, you're welcome, Shern. Remember that? This is Dunkishin. So anyway, uh, at, at a certain point, Piffle... Uh, they just, he uh, McNamara decides to frame uh, Horst Buchholz Piffle by sticking a balloon on his motorcycle, which ends up getting filled with air, and it says "Ruskies go home," and that gets him arrested by the secret police. And of course, how do they choose the, the scenes where Piffle gets tortured? Are actually done pretty straight. Uh, except for the fact that they torture him by playing itsy weetsy teeny wee pol- yellow, uh, polka dot yellow, yellow polka, polka dot bikini, bikini <laughs> at half speed, which drives Piffle insane, and he ends up agreeing, uh, saying that he's a spy because he just wants the torture to end. Oh, and and not just that the uh, he's the play he, uh, Cagney gives him the wedding gift the the American the cuckoo, cuckoo clock, clock that right, plays right. that plays Yankee Doodle Dandy right right, <laughs> which I I wondered was that was that a little nod to. Uh, to Yankee Doodle Dandy. Oh, it has to be. This movie, again, for 1961, this is a movie with a lot of pop culture references to other movies. You just mentioned Yankee Doodle Dandy. Uh, at what point there's a uh, an MP shows up played by Red Buttons. Yes. He does an imitation of Cagney <laughs> back to James Cagney, which had to be like the moment of a lifetime. There's a point where... Um, when uh, when another situ- another hiccup happens and James Cagney's character goes, uh, Mother Mother Mercy, is this the end of Little Rico? Which is a line from <laughs> Edward G. Robinson, uh, right? Robinson gangster movie. And then there's even a point where during breakfast he gets ready to smash a grapefruit <laughs> in the face of Horace Buchholz, which yes. is what James Cagney did to Mae Clark in Public Enemy. Right. Oh my yeah, god. There, there's a ton of them. Oh, and he also says that at one point. When Horst Buchholz is talking about that he doesn't want to wear the American clothes, and he's like, put your pants on, Spartacus. It's, just, <laughs> it's like you, you don't expect that kind of pop culture. Like, nowadays, movies are filled with that stuff. But in 1961, that's like, you know, it's like you almost hear James Cagney, like a Royale with cheese. It's like that <laughs> level of, like, it's just so startling. And it, and it is. The, the, di- the dialogue is so snappy. And it just keeps coming, like you were saying. It's it's rapid fire, constant, and it never it never seems to uh, to wane. It's just boom, 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 line after line, and and reference after reference. It's brilliant. Yeah, it's it's really great. So then later on, James Cagney's character again, McNamara. He has this. He goes out drinking with the three Russian guys to, to broker a deal. And the deal he has to broker is he says he wants. Uh, he's like. Uh, they, they arrested Piffle with the cuckoo clock, and he's like, we want it back. You want cuckoo clock back? No, we want Piffle back. And he's like, oh, I can't do that. And he's like, well, he's going to give him his – he's going to trade his secretary uh, for that. And she seems to go along with it just fine, which is really funny. Uh, she's like perfectly ready to deal with it. But there's this whole other bit where um, when they start dancing, uh, where they, they're playing the, um, the saber dance. That, and but by the way, if you don't like the saber dance song uh, tune, you probably shouldn't watch this movie because they play it no. a lot. But uh, no. she starts dancing on the table at the saber dance, and the one guy's banging his shoe on the table, and like they they strike this deal uh, to get the piffle back. And I love when there's the um, the three Russian guys have this have like a little powwow, <laughs> and he's talking about, and the one guy reveals that he's actually a spy spying on them. Yeah, he's like, and he's like, well, he's what's, but, what what could happen? He's like, well, he's like, uh, if if they find me out. Uh, they could arrest my whole family, and he, they could line them up, line them against a wall, and shoot them. 
What do you mean let's line do them up? Let's do it. Let's do it. What, what do you mean? What would happen? Well, they would take my wife, my mother-in-law, my brother-in-law, my sister. Let's do it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> that that whole scene too. One of the things that got me was um, they start calling out, you know, more vodka, more caviar, more rock and roll. And when they say more rock and roll, the saber dance the kicks saber in. The saber dance. <laughs> like, so that's the Russian idea of rock and roll. Okay, I'm I'm with it. I love that the secretary is dancing with those like flaming, like yes, whatever those like shish kebabs almost. And there's one point where she throws one of them to the band leader, and he catches it in midair. And I'm like, how did he do that? Like it must have been like reverse filming. That guy caught a flaming stick out of the air in one yeah. shot. I'm like, how the hell did he do that? And he was no spring chicken either. So no, I, he's I'm, an old dude. I, I think you're right. I think it was probably shot in reverse. Yeah, I love too when the when the secretary sits down. And the the one Russian guy pulls out her chair for it, and he pats her on the butt before he sits down. And and Cagney notices it, and he says, "I said Karl Marx, not Groucho." <laughs> Great guy. By the way, uh, just as a little side uh, thing, apparently Billy Wilder was going to make a Marx Brothers movie after this movie, where really? the, the Marx Brothers were going to descend upon the UN and all the craziness that we're going to yeah and it never it, it fell apart like it never got made or something but uh, that would have been imagine that the marx brothers oh my god yeah 1961 they would have been old by that point but still i thought that was really there's all sorts again we're we're kind of jumping around but you can't help because this movie is just so overstuffed with little asides i mean that scene we just talked about in the in the in the, the bar where they're dancing, we see like two women dancing together, which is yeah. like, again, just threw that in like, yeah, it's, you know, um, the one point when, uh, when Cagney bribes the border guard with the six pack of Coca-Cola and the guy breaks off the, he just breaks the top of the bottle off and drinks it from the shard, the broken glass, drinks, drinks yeah. the Coke right out of the broken glass, which is great. I love when he tells them to return the empties too. Yeah. Return the empties. And then they do. <laughs> yeah, they do. Yeah, right. He says and he thinks he's in trouble because he's like, you wait here. And then he brings it back to the empties. Oh, that's <laughs> fantastic. And the whole the whole gist of this is that when they get Piffle back, he, you know, he he, he said he calls uh, McNamara like this imperialist running dog. And he's like, we're going to take over the world and whatever. And then the boss, uh, we find out that um, that Hazel T- Scarlet is pregnant. And they have to get him married. They have to get the two of them married. And they go through this rush wedding because the boss calls and he says, I'm going to show up. Because uh, originally Scarlett's going to be there for two weeks, but she stays there for two months. The boss decides to show up. And all the stuff that McNamara did to, to get their marriage annulled, he has to then <laughs> undo because they have to be married. And they have to pretend for Piffle to be some member of like the German aristocracy <laughs> to pass muster with the boss. which is, And that's when the movie – if. As it's already going a mile a minute, kicks into super gear in the last half hour. It is just Cagney doing one thing, ordering ties and shoes yeah. and hats. And, sp- and he's snapping his fingers every time without, without fail. I don't know how he did it. I need this person on the phone for this and this one on 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 this. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's unbelievable. And, I, again, I love those, the, whole, the whole thing with the, the, uh, the secretary. There's one point where uh, he, he has her dictate a memo. And he says, uh, are you, he says, are you ready? And she goes, I'm always ready. And Cagney just goes, yeah. Like, I love that one because he so wants to have sex with her, but he's like, he doesn't have time for this nonsense. And they do this whole bit where uh, Piffle gets a, gets a fake family crest because he gets adopted by some member. Like, it's, it's, all, it's all the favors McNamara can pull off to make this guy seem acceptable for the, the boss from Coca-Cola. 
the family crest and the picture of the of the family castle that was destroyed in the war come from the uh, the bathroom attendant. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> who's 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 still not willing to accept that he's the bathroom attendant because when they start negotiating the deal, it's like you know I'll give you a thousand marks if you you know if you pretend to be his dad. Uh, just because I'm a bathroom attendant, you think I'm going to settle for a thousand? And he starts jacking up the price. It's hilarious. It's, yeah, I mean, it's everybody in this movie is out for themselves, and, and you know, I mean, everybody's looking for what angle they can turn. I mean, again, it is a very cynical movie. I'm kind of, I'm amazed that Coca-Cola allowed this because, like, it's it's Coca-Cola. It's not a fake thing. It's it's the Coca-Cola logo. Their products are all over the place. Like, this presents Coca-Cola in a very unflattering light, and I'm kind of amazed they could. Put this in a movie. I would think Coca-Cola could object or something. I I thought they would have objected to the inclusion of Pepsi there at the end. Right. Well, that's oh god. We'll get to that. Yeah. This whole the whole thing about the inclusion of Pepsi. But the the one I think there's only like one line in this movie that is sort of not cynical, and it's it's the line where uh, where Piffle is going on and on about how bad Russia about how bad America is about America America culture is about human culture is the human race. Yeah. And McNamara says, any world that can produce the Taj Mahal, William Shakespeare, and striped toothpaste can't be all bad. <laughs> and and for a movie that moves at a breakneck pace, Wilder lingers on that line, you know, for half yeah. a second. And I'm thinking, that's that's probably the closest this movie's going to get to some sort of, like, genuine sentiment. Because I really think that's what Wilder believed. I mean, Wilder was pretty cynical about American culture, but he was even more cynical about Russian culture. I mean, he's just right. really completely suggest you know, totally suggesting that it's corrupt and it's ridiculous and it's it's you know it's the worst thing in the world this whole idea of you know communism communist rule yeah i don't know it's still great i still (laughs) love i still it goes by so quickly and and it's hard to uh it's hard to focus on a single piece we have not mentioned, yeah. yeah, we haven't mentioned uh, Arlene Francis as the wife, as Mrs. McNamara. She's great <laughs> in this movie because she knows full on that the, that his husband is having an affair. There's this great moment where when she she meets the the secretary, and the secretary is in a uh, she had to give her dress up uh, to to give it to, to give it to Schlemmer to, to fool right. him with this whole cross cross dressing gag. So she's in like a nightie. And she starts talking to the wife about uh, uh, Mr. McNamara made me take off my dress. And she's not giving her, her like the full picture. And the wife is like, oh, really? And there's this great bit where she says, uh, that son of a – and then she slams a door. So she doesn't say the word bitch, but she goes, that son of a bam is starting his own Marshall plan. <laughs> I, love how they get, I love how they get away with that stuff. Again, yep. it's such a clever – like you couldn't say that. You couldn't say son of a bitch in a 1961 movie. But Billy Wilder gets around it through clever use of the sound effects. I thought that again, it's great. He's, he is he's he was making a comedy for adults, you know, like absolutely for adults to follow along. And I I think that's why it holds up so well is that it's it you really have to be kind of like really paying attention to get all the gags of this movie. Mrs. McNamara also had one of my uh, one of my favorite lines, and it's when they first meet Scarlett on the airplane. Like you were saying before, and she's already been flirting with all of the. Uh, she's, she's got them the, all like yeah. She, she's all giggly and stuff. Yeah. Pick pick one name out of the hat. Right, right, right. P- Pierre. Okay, what's this? Oh, Pierre's going to come pick me up tonight. And then they're like, no, no, no. And they start taking Scarlet away. And Pierre comes over and he's like, you know, ma'am, can I appeal to you as a woman? And she's like, oh, you absolutely do. Because <laughs> <Like, laughs> she wants a, to go home. She wants to go back to Atlanta. 
Uh, yeah. they've, been, they've been living this sort of itinerant lifestyle, and, and McNamara can't understand why she's unhappy because he's like, we have limos and an expense account, and we have this great apartment, and she just wants to go home and like be a family because she knows she knows that her husband's cheating on her. She knows that he's constantly busy. She wants a more. She's willing to give up sort of all the the nice benefits of this life for kind of yep. a more quiet lifestyle, and he 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 you know to him that sounds like death being transferred back to Atlanta. <laughs> Yeah, what is it? The the son has never eaten a peanut butter sandwich. Right. Yeah, he's like, yeah, you're going to guess all that for a peanut butter sandwich? Yeah. It's, it, we need to go home because your son has never had a peanut butter sandwich. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's just so <laughs> so ridiculously funny. And uh, I, I couldn't have notice, too, like for a comedy, I, I've mentioned this in other episodes where I love looking at old movies that have like great match shots because it's a, such a lost art. That airport. Like the, yeah. the airport, that's all a matte painting. And I mean, it's beautiful. It looks totally real. I mean, yeah. it helps that it's in black and white, but yeah, this is like, I love that kind of artistry. And again, I'm not expecting to see it in a comedy like this where it's all just set in rooms and it's people talking, but that, I just love that bit. I was like, I could stare at that airport all day. It's such a nice looking painting. Everything, even the, uh, even the shots of, uh, what was that? Was that Brandenburg? Brandenburg, Brandenburg, Brandenburg Gate, yeah. Even there, that's it's gorgeous. Yeah. Oh, it's just it's just fantastic. So all this, all this stuff at the end where they try and convince uh, the, the 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 head of the Coca Cola to buy into Piffle being a suitable uh, son-in-law, <laughs> it works. It all works because Piffle ends up going along with it. Yeah. Uh, he ends up, you know, and and I love the whole bit where they try and teach him all these American aphorisms of like it shouldn't happen to a dog and. <laughs> You know, and he's like, uh, well, why, why, don't we, why don't we think bigger? Instead of a six-pack, why not a nine-pack or a 12-pack? <laughs> and I love that when, when they come to when – the, when the boss comes to meet him, like he has all the lines, but they're all confused. They're all backwards. Like he gets right. them all out of order and stuff because he learned them basically phonetically. I thought that was phon- he's like, what do you think of the situation here? It shouldn't happen to a dog. And they're just like, what the hell is this guy talking about? Right. But he still manages to win him over. He does manage to win him over. And, of course, Piffle ends up getting the job. Uh, at running the London office, which is the job that McNamara wanted. And right. Of course, so he did his job a little too well in that uh, Piffle. And Piffle's going to go into, you know, going to go on to this life of being this total capitalist. <laughs> He's going to totally buy into it. And poor McNamara ends up getting shifted back to. Uh, Atlanta, but he ends up going back with his wife because you know he has to. I mean, he's he's not gonna when when he realizes that his family's gonna leave without him, he decides to go back with them. And this movie features, I've I've mentioned this again on previous episodes, and I've talked about it on Facebook and Twitter and stuff. I love it when a movie has a great final shot, like when they nail it or they just make a great <laughs> final shot. And this movie ends with um, he decides to buy all his family cokes. And he goes up through the cook machine, he puts the money in, he hands out the bottles, and then he grabs the last bottle, and he notices that inside the cook machines are Pepsi. Pepsi, yep. <laughs> and he looks right in the camera. I love that. He yells, Schlemmer! <laughs> and, he, and, yep. he holds, and he holds the Pepsi bottle through the whole thing. And apparently, the whole reason that gag was done was because Joan Crawford, right. who, who's, who was, the, uh, was the wife of the chairman of Pepsi-Cola complained to Billy Wilder that this movie was one long commercial for Coca-Cola. So we stuck in that gag at the end as sort of a sop to Joan Crawford. That was funny. That was, and when I, when I had read that too, cause I, I looked it up uh, online. Why like it with all those Coke references, why would they go ahead and, and give Pepsi a nod to, but yeah, it was all because of uh, Joan Crawford. I know um, Billy, Billy Wilder, man, this is, this guy is just, and so this movie uh, was not well received at the time. It was considered, pretty tasteless 
you know, people didn't want to joke about the Cold War. Pauline Kael uh, wrote this about the movie. One, two, three is a comedy that pulls laughs the way a catheter draws urine. Oh, that's so, brutal. A bit of a negative review. Uh, it was a... It was not a financial success. Again, people just did not want to see it. It was banned in several countries. Uh, as I mentioned, the wall went up literally while they were making this movie, and they had to move sets to the other side of the wall to finish it. So it was – it pretty much didn't – wasn't popular anywhere. And the other bad result from this movie was that Cagney – first of all, Cagney did not get along with Hort's book cults at all. One of the only – the only actor that yeah. he actually hated working with, apparently, he, that's in his biography. Yeah, he apparently that, accused of Hort's book also of trying to upstage him and doing all kinds of bits of business, which, having never acted, I don't fully understand that, but I guess there's things that like you can do that draw attention to yourself on screen away from the other actor, and that's like a real no-no to right. do. So, yeah, he didn't like Horst Buchholz. And he, he said that he wanted to knock Horst Buchholz on his ass at one point, and <laughs> he told Billy Wilder to do it. But but Cagney was so unhappy and so miserable making this movie that he quietly retired. Uh, and he was gone from the movies for 20 years, and he only came back in 1981 to do a, a small role in Milos Forman's Ragtime, which yep. ended up being his last film. Uh, but so, so he retired from movies for, for 20 years. This movie was it, – it sort of ended Billy Wilder's hot streak. Uh, the next movie he did was Irma La Douce, which was, I don't think was a particularly big hit, but that movie features Shirley MacLaine as a prostitute. Uh, so, I mean, Wilder kept pushing the envelope. Uh, as, as he went on, but I mean, I think audiences were sort of divesting from, from him a little. Maybe he's getting a little too cynical. This movie is referenced in Martin Scorsese's documentary, A Personal Journey Through Movies with Martin Scorsese, which is like a five or four or five hour documentary of him just talking about his favorite movies. And he, he talks about this movie and he said that um, Billy Wilder wasn't interested in dialing down the rhetoric. And they said, in fact, the, the more people got offended, they said the more acid he poured on. Because he was just that kind of guy. But this movie did get rediscovered. And later on, uh, it played in West Berlin in 2006. It played for an entire year because people, lo- a whole new generation discovered it and loved it so much. And you can see it referenced in uh, Steven Spielberg's A Bridge of Spies, which is, of course, set uh, about the events of the, the, the Berlin Wall. There's a point where Tom Hanks walks by a movie theater and you see the German title, playing on a marquee. So I guess Spielberg was a fan as well. So this movie, wow. this, this is one of those movies that nobody liked at the time, and now people regard when they discover it, they go, holy shit, this movie's fantastic. <laughs> it really is. It really, really is. And and at that pace and with that humor, it's it's genius. It's a genius movie. Yeah. I cannot, I've never been able to snap my fingers on command. Like, I can't, I can't get it on the first, like, I can, I can do it there, but then I, I can't, but the fact that Cagney is able to recite all that dialogue, you know, and he's talking about uh, tie, stripes, not too wide, shoes, not too glad, blah, 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 blah. and it's just, it's like a machine gun, and, you know, it's kind of amazing that when you talked about Cagney's gangster films and stuff, how great yeah. he was at that rat-a-tat-tat, that he wasn't used more for comedy, because he was great at it. Yeah, Absolutely. I mean, he said he's just he's just fantastic in this movie, and he really and he's in virtually every scene uh, except for the little bits here and there. Uh, I love, I mean, and, and I mean, ever again, everyone else is great in it, but he is he is really the the, the straw that the straw that stirs this drink. And uh, like I said, it's I, I I feel bad that he didn't get to do more comedies after this that he decided to pack it in because I mean, what we could have gotten if he had been, you know, 
went on to do other you know other comedies. He was just so he's just so so funny in this movie. Yeah, is this is a this is definitely a a highlight of my my uh, Cagney fandom. Yeah, oh, he's just he's just fantastic. And so, yeah, I mean, it's one, two, three. Uh, as we talked about, it's kind of hard to find. You can't rent it on iTunes or Amazon, and it's not on Netflix or Hulu, of course. But it is on Blu-ray. You can get it on Blu-ray, and it is on DVD. You can get a used Blu-ray. I've seen used Blu-rays uh, for like a couple of bucks. It was put out by MGM. Um, I saw it uh, when I worked at the video store. Uh, when I worked at Movies Unlimited, and it was just, uh, again, I was on my Billy Wilder thing, and I was like, oh, I've never heard of this. And then I, I loved it from the first viewing on. I just was like, this movie's amazing. This is just amazing. And I'm, I was so thrilled, you know, two years ago at this point when you said that you saw it, because like, you're literally the only yep. person I ever know that's seen it. But <laughs> said you can get, there's a deluxe Blu-ray from Kino Lorber. They do a great job. And you can get it cheap on DVD. And if you ever happen to see it on TCM, uh, if you ever catch it, if you ever see that they're playing it, Make sure you watch it because, as, as Tim talked about, he put it on his DVR. Absolutely catch it. I think it. I think you'll. It's an eye opener that you a movie this sharp, this still relevant, especially with all the Russian stuff in the news nowadays. <laughs> it is. It is really. Uh, it's really a trip. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely so, worth seeing. Yeah. So uh, I guess that's that's one two three. I guess that's that's going to do it. Um, Tim, where can people find you on the internet? Um. Well, <laughs> that's funny. Um. There, there is the Court Industries blog, which sadly has not been as active as it once was, um, just with the shifting shifting uh, creative teams behind Blue Beetle. I've, I've sort of felt my interest sort of dwindle a little bit. But there is still the Court Industries one at Twitter, um, where you can definitely find me. And Jay Jones and I uh, do the uh, Beetlemania podcast, where we look at uh, Blue Beetle old, Blue Beetle new, and uh, everything in between. That's a fun show. You weren't you weren't a podcaster the last time that we talked when you did no, the show two years ago. So what's what's it like now being on the other side of that equation? <laughs> it is definitely uh, interesting, yeah. <laughs> and and I and I really have a great appreciation for uh, for everything you and Shag do to organize yourselves and and put out stuff in a uh, in a very timely manner because <laughs> Jay and I struggle to <laughs> to come up with with when can you record? Can you record this day? Let's let's cover these books here. So I do appreciate everything you guys do. It is like a big game of Tetris sometimes. <laughs> and juggle all these things. Is. Yeah, yeah. So, well, anyway, thank you so much for coming on. My apologies that it took so long to have you back. We won't wait this long again. Um, like I said, I, I, I don't know why it took me so long to rewatch this movie because this thing is a total joy. So uh, thank you for being patient with me, and, and thanks for coming back on. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So thank you. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Of course, you can find back episodes of our show on the Fire and Water network site which is fireandwaterpodcast.com and we're talking movies over on twitter which is at film and water pod so thanks everyone for listening and until next week that's a wrap if it isn't my old friend hot Schaffner and Kalma. I see you bring blonde lady with you. Ring a ding ding. Sit down, <laughs> sit down, my friend. Join us. Right here, Fräulein. I said Kalma, start Groucho. To what we owe this unexpected pleasure. Well, you're a trade commission. I thought we might trade. Coca-Cola? No. But I hear you boys were like Fräulein Ingeborg to go to work for you. You want to trade your secretary? Right. Your Russian secretary? Wrong. I do not blame you. Ours is built like bow-legged samovar. <laughs> <laughs> We find proposition very interesting. Now, what can we offer you? Actually, all I want from you is a small favor. Small favor, big favor, anything. There's a guy named Otto Ludwig Pippel. He's being held by the East German police. 
For what reason? Son of a gun stole my cuckoo clock. You want cuckoo clock back? Wrong. You want piffle back? Right. Impossible, my friend. We cannot interfere with internal affairs of sovereign republic of East Germany. No piffle, no deal. Let's go, Ingeborg. Wait! What is the hurry? You're not giving us a chance. It's old Russian proverb. You cannot milk cow with hands in pockets. Rubber! Vodka! Caviar! Herr Kapellmeister! More rock and roll! 